morning. Good morning. Uh, is that me? Should I just, I'll just stand here? Welcome to the South Suburban Vineyard. Like Gino said, my name is David Jacob, and I am very excited that you are all here. Um, I think uh, I think at 1030 there are about four people in the room, so thank you all for filling the room out. That's nice. Um, but just, again, I just want to welcome any, any visitors, anybody who feels like they're a visitor, uh, just welcome. Welcome. Very happy that you're here with us. And I just also want to welcome anybody who's listening to us on our podcast. Uh, you're always welcome to come join us here on Sunday mornings. Um, I, I really appreciate that God has blessed us with 60-degree uh, weather. Is anyone else just really excited about Yeah. Let's just... Let's, Forget it. Let's just worship God because of... No, but it's... I, I love it. I, I'm, I'm, I actually despise... Um, I despise uh, snow, wind whipping in my face. Uh, some people like that. I don't like that. Uh, but what I, what I have begun to realize is that it's the holiday season. Is anyone else confused by this? That it's supposed to be the holiday season. I remember a couple of years ago, we, uh, we went to the... Children's Hunger Fun Toy Wrap, which we did yesterday, and I remember trudging through like four or five inches of snow. Um, and then yesterday, I barely wore a jacket, so I'm, I'm just really confused right now. Um, and I just, I, the weather, even though I don't, may not like it, it helps me get into like the Christmas season. And I love the Christmas season. I absolutely love the Christmas. I'm like the guy who listens to Christmas music way before I should, and I kind of do it in secret. So that, you know, people don't make fun of me. Um, but I, I just love the holiday season. I, I, I love driving past homes that are decorated. And there are so many that are already decorated. I, I love putting up decorations in my house. And Jenny, my wife Jenny did that this week. And I was kind of sad that I wasn't able to do that with her. Um, and I love going to Home Depot and arguing with Jenny about which Christmas tree to buy. I just, I love it. It's just part of that season. Um, and then there are those things that somehow have invaded the Christmas season. Those things that are just so annoying, and I would consider, quite frankly, just very inappropriate. Those things that just kind of get under your skin and just, just make you just so indignant, like with righteous anger. And you wonder, like, who decided that this would be a part of the Christmas season? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Those sappy Christmas movies. <laughs> who decided... That those movies would be acceptable in our culture. I just... Alright, some of you are actually getting upset with me because you love those Christmas movies. And I should probably cool off a little bit. No, but I... I, Look, I got some issues, my own personal stuff. But if you're willing to just hear me out for a minute. There are a couple reasons why I really don't like those movies. One, the first one is, I just have very little connection with them. Uh, Especially... Just growing up, the, seeing what I saw in the movies, it just it was a very distant idea or concept for what Christmas should look like. Um, I didn't grow up in a big house with a 12-foot Christmas tree, um, turtleneck sweaters, and carols around a piano. I, that wasn't my life. I also didn't grow up in a small town that had uh, a, an attractive, recently single sheriff that was trying to rescue the town from a, from a sudden tragedy or... That wasn't my life at all. And so it's very difficult for me to connect with those storylines. But besides that, the the second reason, which this is actually the more valid one, 
is um, the movie's basic punchline or the basic storyline is that they, they try to teach us some basic idea of like common decency and then at the end of the movie tell us like that's what Christmas is all about, right? So they, they tell us about generosity or something. It's a whole storyline about being generous and not being a Scrooge. And then, like, that's what Christmas is all about. And I, I just, that just really bothers me. And so, all right, so let me just offer a generic storyline here. Um, someone moves back from being somewhere else for a really long time. And uh, they move back into the community, and they uh, find that when they move back, there are unresolved dysfunctions. And so there's sort of an internal struggle and an external struggle. And the internal struggle is, you know, maybe the person comes back and they're ingrained in their ways and they're stubborn and they're arrogant and they're greedy or narrow-minded or whatever. And then the external struggle is on top of their individual thing, like, you know, the, the, the mill is about to shut down and lay off all its employees like right before Christmas, right? I mean, you know, the catastrophe is about to happen. In the whole movie, we're waiting for that person to turn the corner and just realize that if they would just change their perspective about life, that their life would be so much better. That if they would just be humble instead of arrogant, that if they would just forgive that other person instead of holding a grudge, or if they would be generous instead of greedy, they would be able to resolve this internal dysfunctions. And then it just so happens that when that person resolves their problems, then life, a bigger picture, becomes better. And at the end of the movie, the message, whether it's sad or implied, is that this is what Christmas is all about. And this is when I really start grinding my teeth. Not because it's just a played out storyline that we just can't escape or no one's really creative to come up with something else. But it's because we're fed some feel-good hallmark baloney that has made us, that, that they somehow revealed the real meaning of Christmas. And I just get really upset by that. And I, I mean, I genuinely get upset by that. Believe it or not, friends, Christmas isn't about letting go of your hurts and reconciling with people. It's not about being generous and, and giving more than, you know, out of your abundance. It's not about volunteering at the local food pantry and giving of your time. Christmas isn't even about loving your family, even though they drive you up the wall. Christmas isn't about any of that stuff. Life is about that stuff. Monday is about that stuff. Tuesday is about that stuff. We don't have to go 11 and a half months and then wait for Christmas to take this Christmas generosity pill and that somehow life is better. That's, a, that's an everyday idea. These aren't Christmas ideas. These are life ideas. And we're fed this idea that, you know, if we just you know, accept this revelation from Hallmark, then our lives would be better. Some of you are actually genuinely asking yourself, like, oh, okay. Um, so if Christmas isn't about that, then what is Christmas about? I'm not going to tell you. No, I am going to tell you. I can't leave you hanging on that cliff. Listen, the very simple answer is that Christmas is about Christ. Christmas is about Christ. It's about celebrating the arrival of a little baby boy that would change the world forever. It's about celebrating that that little boy grew up and he brought with him the power of the kingdom of God and that he died on the cross for our sins so that we can have a chance to stand before God in heaven and be accepted by him. 
Christmas is about Christ. It's about celebrating that Jesus came and he died for us and that we have a real chance of defeating sin in our lives, about resisting temptations and overcoming obstacles. It's about actually forgiving people through Christ and and healing the brokenness in our lives. It's about celebrating the fact that we can actually find real, lasting, and life-giving joy through Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not about those things. It's about remembering that because of Christ, we can get those things. That's what Christmas is all about. And so we celebrate that through Christ, we have hope. We have hope. As Gino mentioned, I had the privilege of beginning a new sermon series this week that we're just simply calling Advent. Advent just simply means arrival. And so we remember, we celebrate the arrival, the first arrival of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago. Um, and, and, and the weeks leading up to Christmas is emphasized by the church and sort of the bigger church, capital C, sort of the believers of, of, of Christ, is that we remember and we emphasize and, and we, we think back on the impact of the arrival of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we also remember the promises of God that Jesus is coming back. And that he will come back one day. And so this Advent season is remembering. It's celebrating that Christ has arrived. And he will arrive again. Not only that, but Advent is a season marked by hope. And as we remember the arrival of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago, and we look forward to a second arrival, we can be filled with hope. And this hope isn't just wishful thinking. It's not this paper-thin idea that something may or may not happen. But it's a confident assurance. It's a confident assurance that what God says is going to happen, that God does what he says he's going to do. Wishful thinking is that the Cubs are going to win the World Series. I'm a Cubs fan. That's wishful thinking. Who knows? Honestly, who knows? But instead, we have a confident assurance in the almighty living God. Based on the arrival of Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, we live in a world that is just ruined by hopelessness. Ruined by hopelessness. That might be one of the defining marks of people who are clearly away from God. You know, some of us are hopeless. But those who are away from God, you just, you see it in their lives. There's just no hope for a better future. Rather, we... As we look toward Jesus, as we remember the arrival of Jesus Christ, we hold on to the credible credible promises of the living God, and we hold on to that hope. I titled today's sermon, Remembering God's Promises. Remembering God's Promises. And I want to explore the idea of how these promises that God uh, has given us in His Word could shape our lives. I I want to talk about, you know, just some of the... Uh, just some of the facts that the promises uh, and the promises that he has uh, made and that he, that he keeps his promises. Now, I don't just maybe want to under, you know, just intellectually understand that, yes, God makes promises and he keeps his promises. But rather, what could that look like in our lives if we actually believe that deep down within us? That God is who he says he is and that God does what he says he's going to do. And how that hope might change our lives. So before I get in, uh, go any further, let me just pray for our time this morning. Father in heaven, I just, I just thank you for you. <laughs> I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, 
uh, just for everything that you do. I thank you for stories like Mark's and how even just those testimonies just give us hope that you do what you say you're going to do and that you uh, are who you say you are. Lord, I just ask that you would put power on this message. Lord, will you bless us this morning? Will you speak to us, everyone exactly where they are? And Lord, I just acknowledge that we're all in very different places in our lives. Lord, will you bless each one of us exactly where we need, we need you? Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Could someone give me some water, please? Thanks, Gina. So I was talking all day. I, I was yelling in the basement, practicing this sermon all day, and <laughs> talking for a long time. It just kind of makes me thirsty. Um, when, we look at, when we look in the scripture, we see God's promises, and the promises are very often referred to as prophecies. Uh, and I, I, I just, I feel like it's very important that I give just a very quick and very abridged, unfortunately we don't have a long time to, to kind of cover this topic, but I just want to talk about just a very quick crash course on what prophecies are. Thank you. Just so we're on the same page. All right, so let me just, I'm going to ask a few questions. So what are prophecies? Prophecies are just basically messages from God directed to his people. So God does not prophesy or promise to the cosmos or inanimate things. He does not um, somehow prophesy to, to um, non-humans. I don't know, I'll just leave it at that. So God gives messages directly to his people. And sometimes these messages uh, and these prophecies are immediately um, applicable. So sometimes his message, messages in his word are like, hey, people of Israel, hey, uh, you're screwing up. Let's, uh, let's get back on track. And so God sends a message to his people. It's like, this is going to happen right now. We need to shape up right now. Other prophecies, uh, many, many prophecies uh, are, are characterized by being in the future. And I would just say that they're maybe futuristic. And so another example is, you know, God would, would say, people of Israel, I am going to do this for you one day. One day something is going to happen. I'm going to do this kind of down the road. And so what we actually see throughout the Old Testament or the part of the Bible written before Jesus is that there are uh, prophecies about the coming Messiah. And there are many, many prophecies. And I'm just going to kind of interchange that word with promises because a promise is basically something uh, that we or that God would say about something in the future. Does that kind of make sense? So I'm going to kind of flip back and forth, but hopefully you track with me. And so God makes many, many promises and prophecies throughout the Old Testament. And so another question is, who delivers these prophecies? And God most often gave very direct messages through specifically designated people. And we're talking about the, the time before Jesus came. And it's the Old Testament. And those were the messengers of God. God didn't necessarily speak to individual people. He did kind of on occasion, and very, it was very, very rare. But most of the time, he talked through specific messengers, and those messengers were called prophets. Now, this changes quite a bit in the New Testament, or the part of the Bible that was written as a story of Jesus and then kind of the early church after Jesus. And we, we see that this office of the prophet, this, this uh, designation that was only given to a very select few, was, was kind of dismantled a little bit. And instead, we get instructions from the Apostle Paul that maybe we should all ask God for this spiritual gift of prophecy. And so I, 
I, I recognize that this teaching is debated among, among some Christians. And, you know, the, one, of the, one of the questions you might hear is, does God really speak today? Are, are the times of prophecies over? Um, and just so we're clear, we believe here at the South Suburban Vineyard that God does speak today. And that we can hear from God and that God speaks words of encouragement and edification from, uh, from himself to, to the people around us so that we can encourage one another and build each other up. And I don't mean to set this up for debate and I'm not trying to get into, you know, which side is which. But I feel like we have to differentiate between how we practice the gift of prophecy and how the prophets of the Old Testament delivered the messages of God. I think it's just a really important, especially for those of us who, who may not have a lot of exposure to this idea of prophecy. So... I just don't want any of us to maybe discredit the prophecies that God has written in his word because we have had a bad experience with someone who gave us a prophetic word. And so we, we, we strive very hard here at the South Suburban Vineyard to be, to, to be very humble as we approach this idea of prophecy. And so what we might say something like, listen, I think God is saying this about your life. And I think that he might want, want to do this. And we leave a very wide door open to say, you know what? We think this, but we might be wrong about this. And, and you know, as we saw with Jordan, Jordan just got an impression. And he shared it with Mark. And he said, you know, this may mean something to you. It may not. And it did mean something. It absolutely made something in Mark's life. And we saw that that prophecy or that, that, that word of encouragement and that word of knowledge came true in Mark's life this very week. Many times, you know, some of us, we, we may not hit the mark all the time. But as we examine the prophecies of the Old Testament, it's important that we take them as 100% a credible source. The prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah tells us in chapter 28, basically that you weren't a credible prophet unless you had a 100% accuracy. A 100% accuracy. And so that, that, that means that, you know, what we read in the scriptures is that it, it, we shouldn't shrug our shoulders. We shouldn't say, well, did God really say that? Did he not say that? Should I pray about that? Should, you know, I don't know, did the prophets just kind of approach this like, hey, maybe this is from God, maybe this isn't? No. We read, we, we, we read the, the prophecies of scriptures and the promises of God uh, with the understanding that they are the truth of God. That they are the inspired word of God. And we have to start there, I think, as we approach this idea of God's promises and his prophecies. And that what we read in his word are absolutely true. My message this morning is actually very simple. And it's kind of twofold. One is that God makes promises. And the other is, God keeps his promises. No, that might seem like a very simple idea. I think it can have a very profound impact on our lives if we understand those two aspects. God makes promises and God keeps his promises. So let me just start with the notion that God makes promises. God makes promises. As I was studying this week, I uh, was somewhat surprised to, to realize that there are over 3,000 promises and prophecies in the Bible. Uh, I, I, I read an article where one guy wrote a book, so he's actually putting it on paper, saying that God has written uh, or God has given 8,000 prophecies in the Bible. And if we just kind of accept the low end of that, God has given thousands of prophecies and promises in the Bible. I, I, think, this is, <laughs> I think this is an incredible thing to learn. This is an incredible thing to learn. I think it tells us a lot about who God is. 
And that God it doesn't sit on the fence on things. God doesn't sit on the fence on things. God doesn't give safe answers. When people ask him things, when he is directing his people, he doesn't kind of talk out of both sides of his mouth that maybe, you know, maybe something that he says can kind of be taken that way or kind of be taken this way. And we're really not sure how, how to interpret things. God makes promises. He makes promises and he stands by them. And he stands by them. He's not afraid of commitment. And that's exactly what a promise is. It's a stamp of commitment. I am going to do this. I am going to achieve this. This is very, very important that we learn this. That, that God is not uh, mysterious and so mystical that we kind of have to, you know, take an, take an image of the cosmos and kind of twist it to the side and look through a special looking glass to try to understand what God is trying to say. God makes promises and he writes it down. And he has kept it there for us to read again and again and again. He makes promises. He's willing to put himself on the line and say, test me. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. He's bold. He's bold. I think the, the kind of promises that God makes also tell us a lot about him. Most of the time we read that God does not promise the, 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 uh, the sure things that God delivers. The messages of the sure things that God delivers are very few when we talk about his judgment. But there are very many when he talks about his promises uh, of, of prosperity and love and security and hope. And that tells us a lot about who God is, that he's willing to put his, his neck on the line and say, these are the things that I'm going to promise you. And I, they, they, they tell you a little about, about my heart for you. And that I am a holy God. And that I do love justice. But that's not the point. That I love you. And I'm going to prosper you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to take care of you. And the promises that God makes tell us a little bit about who he is. So not only does God make promises, but he makes very bold promises. Very, very bold promises. You know, some of us are of the habit, maybe, I, I'll just talk about me. I, I try to answer things in a way where I'm not, like, tied down to things. Um, not all the time. I mean, I, I feel very confident in a lot of things that I say. Um, but, you know, if I'm having a conversation with someone, and I'm not really sure, I might, you know, kind of give, like, a very vague answer. Uh, you know, maybe interesting. I mean, there's, I have a whole list of words that kind of give me a backdoor out of the... Out of like being nailed down. Um, I might share my list with you if the price is right. I can teach you these things. Uh, no, I won't. I won't teach you those things. God doesn't do that. God makes very specific, bold statements. Very specific, bold statements. In fact, um, one of the reasons why we can point to Jesus and say that, yep, that guy is the Messiah is that God made very, very clear, specific promises or prophecies about Jesus hundreds of years before he came. And there are, one resource said that there are from 700 to 1,000 prophecies about Jesus. I'm going to pick three, okay? We're going we're gonna to cut right to the chase. And actually, I'm going to pick, I'm just going to highlight three just to kind of demonstrate 
that God makes promises and that they're very specific. And I'm going to kind of touch on some of the promises and prophecies that relate to the Christmas season. And so we look at God as uh, that we can uh, verify that Jesus was the Messiah ba- uh, based on several prophecies. But let me just highlight, uh, focus our attention on um, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You guys are welcome to follow along with me. Uh, there are some Bibles around the room. I, I believe the, the words will also be displayed on the screen. If you don't know where Micah is, uh, if you know where Matthew is, just start there and go backwards. Um, I don't have a specific number for you or a page, but Micah is one of the minor prophets. Um, the book is relatively shorter than others. So Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Those of you who have phones, I see many of you on phones, just Google search it. Micah 5. And this is what God promises. He says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler will come from you, one whose origins are from a distant past. You know, God could have, God could have said, you know, the Messiah is going to be just somebody from you. Or maybe from a distant land or something like that. But God narrows it down to a very, very specific town. I, I don't know if you know much about ancient history, but towns kind of came and went. Towns that were ancient didn't necessarily last for hundreds of years. So this idea that a town would last and that the Messiah would come from this very specific town, it, it just speaks a lot about the, very speci- the specificity of that word. God specifically chose Bethlehem Ephrathah. Let me, let me go to the next prophecy. And that is uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Now, if, if you're trying to track in your Bible, just keep going toward Genesis. Or toward the beginning of the book. And you'll hit Isaiah. And let me read this prophecy. It says, Alright then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look! The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is, again, a very specific promise that, that, that the, the Christ child, or Jesus, would be born from a virgin. From a virgin. Let me go again on to the third prophecy that I'll just um, highlight today. is in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. That should be easier to flip to if you're... Still in the book of Isaiah. And this prophecy is simply, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a branch bearing fruit of the old root. Again, God doesn't just say, You will be an Israelite. But he says that he will come very specifically from a very specific family line. And we see many prophecies, many, many prophecies about Jesus that are specific and specific. And that they don't leave much room for argument. And those are the types of promises that God gives. And that he's not afraid to, to be specific. He's not afraid to put himself on the line and say, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this very specifically and test me. Test me. See if, if this comes about. You know, it wasn't very long ago. Um, actually, it was just a few weeks ago that our country was, in my opinion, oversaturated with political talk. And political campaigns. You guys remember that? Yeah? yeah? Kind of still wounded by it, still recovering. We have a support group, by the way. No, we don't, we don't have a support group. Not at all. Um, 
But during those campaigns, we just heard promise after promise after promise. Right? That's basically what a political campaign is. Promise after promise after promise. And I don't know if you notice a pattern, but I'm not going to pick on any party or even a position. But the basic idea of a political campaign is that person who is in office is doing a terrible job. You should get rid of them because if they haven't ruined your life already, they're about to ruin your life. I promise to not ruin your life. I promise no taxes, a puppy for everybody, and rainbows every other day. And we see, so we hear promise after promise from these, and it doesn't matter what politics, they all do it. It's a political game that they play. And if you're kind of like me, you just, you're able to just kind of see right through that because we know that politicians are human and they will fail us. And it's likely, and maybe I'm just being over cynical about this, but it's likely that they're just telling us what we want to hear. And many of the promises in our lives are just things that, that we hold on to that make us feel better. Honestly, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not just po- politics that makes these promises. But there are promise after promise in our lives from many different areas of our lives. We live in a culture that, that promises satisfaction and, and just kind of a release, a sort of cathartic release if you just give yourself over to uninhibited sexuality. Now, forget about all the rules and guidelines that you know, people have been trying to teach you your whole life. Just, just go do whatever you want, and you'll finally be satisfied. You'll finally get to, to, to feel that uh, just self-assurance. Listen, someone who's been on the, the other side of that, it's, it's maybe one of the most destructive things you could ever do for your life. The promises are false. That promise is false. We also get caught up in believing that Maybe once we get married, once we finally get that job, once we finally uh, reach a certain level of relationship with, with somebody in particular, once we finally, you know, maybe get closer to our, our mom or our dad, and so these, we, we put a lot of stock in the promise that our life is going to get better once this relationship landmark is reached. And I don't know if, for those of you who have been married, you probably agree with me that that probably doesn't take five, ten minutes before you break your marriage vows. And I'm not, I'm not talking about infidelity. I'm not talking about cheating. I'm just talking about, you know, we, we promise to love each other. And we fail each other. And for some of us, like me, I fail regularly. And we fail each other. This promise of relational security, of, of life being all good. Once we get to a certain point, it, we find that it fails. Maybe one of the most prevalent promise that we believe is that if we just had enough money... If we just got to this income bracket, if we just had this much in our bank account, then life would be okay. And that's a promise that we hold on to. This week, uh, one of my coworkers came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, do you want to throw a, uh, a few dollars in like, what, the Mega Millions, Jackpot, Super Bowl, whatever it's called? Um, and uh, I will admit, I stand before you and I say, yes, I threw in a few dollars to see if I could win the Mega Millions jackpot or whatever it was. Honestly, before that, I had no idea. I, I just literally had no idea just how big the jackpot was. Um, I, I'll tell you the real reason, at least the initial reason. I didn't want to be that guy who, like, didn't get in the pool. And literally everyone else in the company won. 
Uh, and my company is really small, so there are only about six people, 16 people who, who join it. I didn't, you know, there are articles written about those people. I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> and so once, once we all kind of chipped in, then, uh, you know, we, everybody said, you're lying to me if, if, you, if you haven't had the if I won the lottery conversation. And so we all just kind of turned our chairs around. We had a good, good time until our boss said, all right, that's enough. But we were talking about, man, what would I do? What would I do? And it was, just a, it was just a game. It was a fun game. But then I realized as I was driving home that I was thinking about all the ways that that money was going to make my life better. The, the struggle was I had not ever given God the opportunity to make my life better. In those ways, those particular ways. And so I was just thinking like, wow, if I had that, then I could do this. And, you know, I wouldn't have this struggle. I wouldn't have that struggle. And I, I had never really gone to God and say, God, I trust you to resolve that issue. But instead, in that moment, I realized like, wow, this money is almost like a savior to me, a false savior to me. And I was very convicted and I repented before the Lord. And I didn't even check the numbers that night. I almost at, a, at that point, I was just like, I, I don't know that I want to win this thing. I'd be corrupted by this. So we can go on example after example about so many things in our lives that offer promises. They offer promises. But none of them are as credible as God. Let me give you a tip this morning. The first tip I'm going to give you is discover the promises of God. Discover the promises of God. You know, many of us didn't even know that there were 3,000 promises in the Bible. That we didn't, you know, we were unsure that that God actually gave very specific promises. And so I I think that it would enrich our lives. It It would help us to stand a little sturdier if we'd actually discovered some of the promises about God. And so this Advent season, as we, you know, anticipate the arrival of Jesus Christ... As a little baby, um, not that he is born every year, but that we remember the, the arrival and that we look forward to his second arrival, it might help you to understand if, if you discovered the promises of God. And I, I, would, I might suggest reading uh, the book of Matthew or the book of Luke. Uh, those, are two, um, those are two books in the Bible and they're in the New Testament. They kind of begin the New Testament. They're the stories of Jesus that they almost like go out of their way to highlight the promises and the prophecies of Jesus. And so we, we can, we can um, discover God's promises. So not only does God make incredibly specific promises and he sticks his neck out and he's willing to put him, his credibility on the line, but God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Can someone say Amen. All right, thank you. God keeps his promises. And I, it, it's almost unfair to me that, that I think the last couple of times I've preached, um, someone has shared a testimony right before the sermon, because it's like, how do I follow that up? God very clearly kept a promise in someone's life, and we get to share that joy with them. And, and I just it's, just, it's just one example, but God keeps his promises. I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit about what that might mean for us. I remember having a conversation with someone who was mentoring me. Uh, they were teaching me. It was kind of a discipleship 
uh, situation, and we were having a conversation. We're just kind of talking about Jesus and just kind of pondering the sort of dis- different aspects of Jesus. And this person asked this question, and I, and I will give them the benefit of the doubt that they were just simply just trying to elevate Jesus beyond anything that we could imagine. But they asked this question, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, wouldn't he still be God? Wouldn't he still be God? And so we, we think about the Jesus of the Bible and we see his claims and the prophecies. And even though 700 prophecies were, were, in that, uh, were verified in the life of Jesus Christ, wouldn't he still be God if he did not raise from the dead? And my answer in that moment, I just, I was confused by it and I was almost angry about it. And I said, no, no. Because if God skips out on one promise, the entire house of cards falls. If, if he cannot be trustworthy with one promise, even though seven, he made 700 others, and we could see that, that those 700 others were verified, If he backed out of one promise, all the other ones would have a tinge of doubt. He would no longer be holy. He would no longer be perfect. He would no longer be a God who is faithful, as we sung earlier. A God who is trustworthy. But instead, we have to trust and we see that God has never gone back on a promise. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. He doesn't back out. He doesn't say, you know, I, I kind of feel a little bit different today. Yesterday was Monday. Today's Tuesday. Things have changed. I slept on it. Um, I think I'm going to go back and maybe revise things. He doesn't do that. He also doesn't forget about his promises. There was a time between the, the very last uh, prophecy or the book written to the people of Israel. And there was about 400 years between the very last prophet and the coming of the Messiah. And I can only imagine that some people would have asked, has God forgotten about us? Where is God? And so we're confused because we don't understand that God's timing is very different than ours. But God does not forget about his promises. He will always follow through on his promises. So I I mentioned three previous prophecies about the, the birth of Jesus. And I also mentioned that it might be a good idea to read the book of Matthew. And again, it's, it's primarily written to Jewish people. Uh, the book of Matthew is particularly written to the Jews. Uh, and why is that significant? Is because the Jewish people would know very, very well the scriptures and the prophecies about the coming Messiah. They would know very well. They were very committed to, to the scriptures. And so Matthew goes to great length to demonstrate and validate that Jesus was the Messiah. And so we actually begin in chapter 1, we actually get this very long lineage of of, of fathers and sons and fathers and sons and this ancestry leading up to Jesus. And it begins, or it has somewhere in the middle, King David. And so Matthew validates the, uh, the prophecy that Jesus would come from the line of David. We also read in chapter 1 that Mary was still a virgin, it says, and she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that might be a detail that we just kind of say, oh, okay, that's a nice part of the story. But it validated a prophecy that God gave. And then in the very first words of chapter 2, Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's another prophecy that God said that was very specific. And that he was born in Bethlehem. And so we see over and over that God makes promises and that he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. 
Let me just move on here. Let me just give a tip. Hold fast to God's promises. Hold fast to God's promises. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 23. It says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let me read that again. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. You know, friends, without the promises of God, there is no hope. There is no hope. If God didn't if God did not say very specific things of how he would bless us and carry us and, 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 and be the God in our lives and keep his promises, we have no hope. We see how the lives of our lives around us um, fail us and the people around us and the things that promise us uh, things in this life, they fail us regularly. But the fact that God makes promises and that he sticks his neck out there and that he, that he keeps his promises... Makes him trustworthy. It makes him faithful. It means that we can lean our entire lives on him. That we can get through the hard times. That even though life may not be the way that we want it to be, the way that you know the detail, details of our lives kind of stink right now, we can have hope if we hold on to the promises of God. This is a very very important part of our walk with him. It, it requires a lot of faith. It requires that we, that we not just believe, you know, that God maybe made a promise somewhere, but that we discover his promises and that we actually hold on to them. And that will carry us through. So what's the big picture this morning? This is the only reason why we can have any measure of real hope in this life. This is the only reason. Is that God is a God who makes and keeps his promises. And because of that, we can hold on to his word with a confident assurance. And we don't have to second guess. We don't have to wonder if God is going to maybe wake up today and not hold true to his promises. And no matter where we find ourselves in lives, you know, some of us are at the end of our ropes. Some of us are just at our wits' ends. And the, we, we just can't do anything but hold on to promises. And say, this is the only thing I've got, is hope. Some of us may not feel that desperate. But friends, we all live in the same world. We're all sinful and we're all separated from Him. We all need the hope of Jesus Christ and what that could mean in our lives. The man could come up. See, friends, this is what Christmas is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. It's about remembering God's promises. It's about remembering that, the, that He would send a Messiah. It's about remembering that He would rescue us from sin and bondage. It, it's about remembering and celebrating that He does work for the good of those who love Him. That He protects those who seek after Him. We remember that He does restore the things in our lives that have been destroyed by the enemy. That He loves us regardless of however we decide to live our lives. That He loves us un- Faithfully and, and unconditionally, that He rescues us and that He frees us. It's about remembering that He will comfort the brokenhearted, that He will give sight to the blind, that He will restore us, restore our lives, that there is hope for a heal, healed relationship within our families. That's not, I'm just going to keep saying promises until someone says something. God promises us that the weak will be made strong. 
that we can push through the pain. That He is with us, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. God promises these things, and we can hold on to them. God promises that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God promises that we can uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that our lives can be different. God promises that the, that the power of the cross can have a lasting, impactful life on our, uh, impact on our lives. God promises that we can have joy. God promises and promises and promises. And that's what we can hold on to. For a changed life today. This can happen today. This is a guarantee. I don't know about you, but I like guarantees. God makes guarantees that he can heal a broken heart. That he can restore our lives. Just sinking into anybody? Somebody say amen, please. God promises and promises, and he follows through on his promises. And so this is what Christmas is all about, that we remember his promises, that he came some 2,000 years ago, and he had a life-transforming uh, impact on the entire world, and that he, it wasn't just the world, but he can have a life-changing impact on you and on me. And we also remember that Jesus is coming back, and that he will wipe away all tears, and that he will defeat all sin. And all death once and for all. And that he will destroy the enemy that has sought to destroy us our entire lives. And he promises to bring us into a perfect relationship with our creator. He promises to finally restore our bodies. He, finally promise, he promises to finally make all things new. This is the promises. These are the, this is the hope that we can cling on to in this holiday season. And every day of our lives. And again, this isn't just a Christmas thing. This is a life thing. God makes these promises January 1st and January 2nd, January 3rd, and on. God makes promises and he keeps them. And because of that, we can have hope today. We can have hope tomorrow. And we can have hope that as we look to our future, things will get better. Things can be better. And I don't know about you, but that's a perfect reason for us to worship. It's a perfect reason for us to worship. Let me close our time in prayer. Father in heaven, I just thank you for your promises. I thank you that you're not wishy-washy and, you know, there's, there's some, uh, you know, we kind of have to figure you out. Lord, that you put your, your word on paper and you're willing to point to it and say, test me. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, God, that we can trust you. That you have not backed out of a single promise. You are completely faithful. You are completely holy. You are completely awesome. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we, we sit here now, but we, we will stand here before you. And we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being God. And never questioning, letting us question that you are God. We don't have to live in, in uh, without assurance, Lord, but we can hold on to the confident assurance that you provide. Lord, I just ask that these words, that, that they would even go beyond me, Lord, that you would just continue to impact our lives. Lord, that this message of hope would be in our hearts tomorrow and the next day 
And when real life just kind of slaps us in the face again, Lord, that this message would not be, you know, a nice talk. But God, that this hope that you give us, these promises that you give us, they're for today and they're for tomorrow and they're for every day. Because you want to see our lives better. Come Holy Spirit, print these words into our hearts. Print these words into our hearts. Jesus' name.